is good to see everybody. Welcome. Welcome to church. We're so glad you're here. If we've never met, my name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. So thanks for being here in the building and those of you online. Now, I'm going to state something that is painfully obvious to everyone in the room, and it is simply this. Parenting is hard. Grandparenting is hard, but not as hard because at the end of the day, here's some ice cream and boom, back to mom and dad, right? So you get that whole thing. But parenting is hard. And let me give you an example. Um, parenting is hard because you have to explain everything to them. You have to teach them everything. You have to teach them how to read, how to go to the bathroom, how to talk. Do you know the English language has all these rules that these rules never change unless they change. And then the whole thing is thrown out and you have to relearn. Like Nolan is in kindergarten right now and I'm learning things as an adult about the English language. I had no idea you could do that. But uh, a couple weeks ago, he's in my truck and we're driving, we're driving him to kindergarten and he asked this question and he says, dad, where does air come from? <laughs> I don't know, son. And then, and, you know, I follow Jesus. So God created it. And he, oh, okay. So, Dad, what happens if we run out of air? Well, there's a, a, a soft, light, philosophical conversation. I'm like, well, you, you, don't, you don't live. And then you went, oh, are we going to run out of air? And then I had to, like, walk him off the ledge for the next five minutes of the drive because he's terrified there won't be any air at class. And then, so, you know, it's quiet. And then he asked this one. And he says, okay, Dad, so how does wind move the air? And at this point, my mind is blown. I don't know how to teach this. I, whatever, I have no idea. But like you, um, you just kind of get through it, don't you? You you pull an answer out of the air, about the air, and you just kind of work through this whole thing. And and eventually you start to get some momentum, don't you? You start to get a couple wins under your belt and you're feeling pretty good. You're like, "I, I got this, I can do this. And you start to learn patterns about your child, right? Of how they work, how they operate, how they react to things. And you say, oh, I got this. Cause when kid number two comes around, I'll just copy and paste what kid number one has done. And we'll just put that on number two and it'll be easy. The only people laughing are grandparents and and parents of multiple children. You can't copy and paste. It does not work. I, um... Let me just do this. Let me just talk to you about my family real quick. Let let me explain. This will be... uh, This is my family. That's me. Uh, That's my, my lovely wife, Darcy. This is Nolan. He's the oldest. And this is Nixon. Now, here's the deal. Nolan is, is my, my happy, adventurous guy of like, he's down for whatever, and he just wants to have a good time, and he will have a good time. And even when he's sad, or if he's learning to skateboard, and he falls, and he hurts himself, I can quickly distract him, like, look, a bird, and he's up, and oh, it's awesome. That's Nolan. No bad days. Just good days. Great times. And Nixon... Nixon is the same, because look, look, when they're playing, they're having a blast. We'll show you the next slide, look. They're having so much fun. Nolan's like, Nixon, let's go play, let's run around. And Nixon's like, yeah, let's do this. And Nixon is no bad days as well. Great days all the time, super happy, unless he's not. He's done with photos. Nolan, I got more smiles out of him, and we can make it happen. Nixon is done. He looks like he's about to burn this place down if he takes one more photo. Uh, a better example of this is one of the first pictures we had taken of him when he was in daycare and you can see how much fun he was having. (laughs) Nolan had a blast. Nixon is over it. Never again, never again. But my point is simply this, what works with one kid probably doesn't work with the next kid. And that's what makes this so stinking difficult. And if you're a parent, 
Do you remember this as parents? Like you had your firstborn kid and it was so easy. You just had one and you'd look at other parents and you would judge them. Like you're sitting in the restaurant and they would pull out their phones and iPads and you're like, I'm never going to do that. Right. And they're watching their shows or whatever. Kid number two comes along. What do you do as soon as you get to the restaurant? Pull out the iPad and the cell phones, turn on the video because you just need to have a moment, right? Like it's just, it's difficult, it's exhausting, but it's also, it it is a beautiful thing. But if you haven't guessed, we're going to talk about parenting. And if you're single or you're married and you don't have kids, you're like, great, why did I show up here this morning? Um, Come back next week, we'll talk about it. But but don't disengage with me. There's going to be some principles, there are going to be some nuggets here that I think will still apply to your life. But I want you to hang with me because we all know this to be true. At the end of the day, parents... You're not as good as you think you are, but you're not as bad as you think you are either. You're, you're going to be okay. And, and the beautiful thing, I don't know how people do marriage. I don't know how people do parenting without Jesus. Cause the beautiful thing is this, where you and I lack, Jesus will fill in the gaps because he loves our children far more than you and I could ever imagine. And that for me as a dad is a beautiful thing to rest in. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to put in the effort and the work and I'm going to give it all that I got. And and I know it's not going to be enough, but Jesus will fill in the gaps. And so what I want to do with our time this morning is I I want you to imagine that you and I were sitting at a restaurant, like one parent to another parent. Remember when you could sit at restaurants? That was fun. But just, just imagine, imagine we're sitting at a restaurant, one parent to another parent. You've, I've probably read the same books you have. I've listened to the same podcast, read the same blogs. Um, I've, I had two parents, you know, so I've learned from them as well. I've observed, I did youth ministry for a number of years, so it was fun to make connections between kids' behavior and their parents' behavior. That was insightful. But I'm no master at this. I don't have a degree in this. I simply, I'm fresh. You just saw, like, I am in the game, right? We got a six and a two-year-old. That's our split. That's where we're at. So wherever you are, if your kids are old and raised, or if you're just starting out, or if you're thinking one day you would like to start out, what I would love to do is frame this conversation. If we're just hanging out at the restaurant and you've pulled out the napkin and the pen, the food has been delivered so we can eat a little bit and there's plenty of water. So drink up. And I'm going to give you three points because that's all I can get in this time. Three things that I would tell you if we were sitting out, uh, out to eat, just having lunch about parenting. You probably know these things already, but it's just a good reminder because again, we're all in this thing together. You've heard the phrase, it takes a village. I promise you it takes more than that. It takes a church. And we need each other in this. So with that in mind, grab some notes, whether it's a napkin, a paper, something that glows. I I, I don't care what it is. But um, let's dive in on this. This is going to be really important. So lean in and get ready. Um, The first thing I would tell you this, and it's the most important for sure, it's the foundation, is number one, to pass on your faith, you must lead by example. To pass on your faith to your kids, you must lead by example. Example, And we find this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I I read it last week, so we won't do a deep dive into it. But it is like, it is the go-to passage when it comes to this. This is Moses talking. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So mom and dad, grandparents, first thing we must do, we must love the Lord our God with all of us, with everything we got. And then, verse 7, he says this, impress them on your children. And he explains, he says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The idea is this. As you and I go throughout our ordinary, mundane, and somewhat boring days, we ought to interweave conversations about Jesus, his teachings, things that we have learned, what our experiences are. We need to become storytellers of the greatest story ever told. And I'm going to give you two suggestions as you talk with your kids at age-appropriate levels. There's two things you must talk about with your children if you're to lead by example when it comes to your faith. The first one, you have to talk about your victories. The things that you have done well, the disciplines, why memorizing biblical passages has been fruitful in your life. Why going to church on a consistent basis has been great for you. Why choosing to forgive is always the best solution when it comes to loving people. Why you even decide to love your enemies, especially if you're a parent of a middle schooler. Why that is a good thing. You have to talk to them about that. You have to explain that to them. You also, and this is crucial, this is just as important. You have to talk to them about your defeats. You have to talk to them about the sins that you have made, the wrong decisions that you have made, the things that were foolish that you did. You have to model for them what repentance looks like. And a healthy repentance, a one that we believe that Jesus actually truly does continue to love us, that forgives us, that is full of grace and mercy in abundance. There's no shortage of that. So when we confess our sins to God, we don't walk around going, I'm a horrible human being. We, our, our countenance, our posture is different. We can look up, we can sing worship songs to Jesus because we truly believe that we have been forgiven and set free. We will make mis- mistakes. Guess what? I hate to break to you, little princess, little Johnny, they're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. Do you know why? Because their mom and dad aren't perfect. And they've sinned. And they've made mistakes. You've heard the phrase, more is caught than is taught. It's the same thing when it comes to our faith. We have to model what healthy repentance looks like. If Jesus has died on the cross and forgiven you of that sin, why are you walking around carrying that burden? What does that teach our children? We have to model these things, the good, the bad, and everything in between. This also means this. You can't outsource your faith. <laughs> we can't do it. We have to model it. Now, here's, this happened in California all the time. This is stereotypical, and I know this never happens in Washington, especially in Linden. But the idea was this, right? Uh, if, you, if you grew up in church, you most likely had parents that were Christians, and they would drop you off at church, right? Because you wanted a good foundation. You wanted to be rooted in the scriptures. You wanted to have a relationship with Jesus. So you did all that. You grew up in church and then you went off to college and you did the exact opposite of what you learned in church. Last service laughed a little bit, not this one. Okay, so you go all the way into college and some of you remember it, some of you don't. That's okay, no judging. You're all welcome here. You do your thing in college and then eventually you get a job, you find a special someone, you get married and if you decide to have children, what do you do? You go, oh, they need to have a really good foundation. Let's get them in church so they can grow up and not do the things that we did. And then the cycle continues, right? Because we just outsource it and we're like, oh, I don't understand the gospel. I don't know Jesus. I can't read my Bible and I only pray during dinner time. So let's have the church, the experts, the professionals. We'll have them raise and train our children. It doesn't work that way because mom and dad, and all the studies prove this, mom and dad above coaches, teachers, friends, social media, the internet, Hollywood, among everything else, mom and dads are still the number one influence, the number one influence in their kids' lives. Which means, if you want your children to follow Jesus, guess what you get to do? Guess, the, guess what the honor is and the responsibility is to model a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. 
I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how old or young your kids are or stages of life or anything. Listen, it's never too late to begin this. And it's never too early to start this as well. We must model what it means to follow Jesus Christ if we are to pass that on to them. Well, I want them to have their own faith. You have to give them something first before they can turn it into their own. And if you model this well, if I model this well, and listen, what's awesome about this is I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. We're not perfect. I've got a lot of weaknesses. I've got a couple strengths, but a lot of weaknesses. And the beauty part of belonging to a church is that there are people that have strengths in my weaknesses. So guess what I do? I said, I don't know, Nolan, go talk to so-and-so. So-and-so is able to answer those questions, able to provide guidance, some solutions, able to listen. You guys remember when you were in high school or junior high, your parents could tell you over and over and over and over and over again, and it wouldn't stick. And then somehow someone who was just a little bit older said the exact same thing. Less eloquently too, by the way. It was really frustrating. But your kid's like, oh, got it. You remember? It takes a church. We have to do this thing, but we have to model this very well. The idea is this. It's what the apostle Paul said to the Corinthians. He said this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Monkey see, monkey do. Child see, child do. If we are to pass on our faith to the next generation, it's because we have modeled it that it'll be successful. If we do not model this and we outsource it to the quote-unquote professionals, it's not going to stick. That cycle, graduating high school, graduating from your faith, then having kids and going, oh, I guess we should do something, that will continue. The best way to break that, friends, is for you and I to get our hands dirty and to lead by example, both in the strengths and the things we've done incredibly well, the miracles that have happened in our life because of Jesus Christ, and the not-so-pretty picture. Because our kids will make mistakes and they need to see what healthy repentance looks like. We have to do this. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you point number two. Number two is get comfortable raising aliens. <laughs> um, we as Jesus followers are citizens in the kingdom of God before we are citizens of earth. If we do this correctly, our children will find themselves not fitting in somewhat consistently in this world. And that is a good thing because we want our children to be leaders. We do not want them to be followers following the next latest and greatest craze that the world says, this is what it means to be happy or successful or to be loving or whatever. We don't want that. We want them, we want them to be citizens in God's kingdom. So we need to get comfortable with the idea that our children will not fit in in every environment that they are at. Why? Because our value system is different. And this, this is good. You, you've heard, there are passages, you've, you've, you've heard it, right? Uh, to be in the world, but not of the world. Right? There are other passages, passages in scripture that talk about being um, like a, a sojourner or a, a foreigner or even an alien in this land. That, that is what we are, that we're raising kids this way. I'll, I'll give you one of, one of the passages it's John 15, verse 19. It says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. See, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. Now, let me be very clear. Um, this verse does not mean this. It does not mean be weird for Jesus. 
Jesus did not call us to be salt and light and weird. Just, just salt and light. You could even whittle that down and, and, and to be loving. What, what this verse does tell us to do is that we need to think differently and more deeply about the cultural values of society. Listen, we do not want to shelter our children from the big bad world out there. We want to equip our children to thrive in the world. Because, because, listen, I, I, I know I can feel the tension and the pushback. Because if we shelter them and they do not know how to thrive in that world, in the secular environment, we have, we have hurt and handicapped their ability to evangelize and to lead lost people to Jesus Christ. Which, I, that's what we do. That's our thing. So, look, this looks differently depending on the age and the environment of your kids and, and all this, right? I don't have time to get into the dynamics there. But the overall principle is simply this. Um, we're not hiding in our, whole, in our holy huddle. And it's just us and our nice thing. No, no, no. We are raising men and women in Jesus Christ that can go out there and can be salt and light. We do not want them to be weird for Jesus. We want them to be loving for Jesus. Go and make disciples of all the world. It's, it's going. It's not, it's not hiding it's going. So we have to think differently. We have to think more deeply about the cultural values of society. Can, can I give you four of them? These are just kind of ones that jumped out at me at, at first glance. I'd love to share them with you. Uh, the first thing we need to think differently and more deeply about is social media. I like social media. I am pro social media. I'm also uh, a big fan of it staying and belonging in its spot. When it's in its spot, when it's in its rightful place, and done appropriately, it's a beautiful thing. When it's not, it's not. It can be really painful. We need to teach our children that their value and self-worth does not come from the amount of likes and followers and subscriptions, but it comes from being a child or a son of daughter of Jesus Christ. Made in his image. The world is not teaching our kids that message. They're teaching, do this, act this way, post this, and then you'll be validated. For something that is digital and not, not, you can't, you can't touch it. It's not real. We need to instruct our children and say, your value is not tied up in what you do and in your performance. It's tied in, in, it's tied up in whose you are. And you are Jesus Christ's. You belong to Him. And you are so valuable. You are so worthy. He died on the cross for you. There are no amount of likes or comments, subscriptions, followers, whatever you want to do that, that says that message. That's the church. That's, that's us. We have to teach our people that this isn't real. Look, it, teenage girls and guys, they're spending hours taking multiple photos at, right, at all the right angles. They're using 12 apps to edit all the software. We have to tell boys and girls that when they sit down, their stomach's going to fold. Everyone's does. Everyone's does. I don't care how skinny you are. Everyone's stomach folds. And it's hilarious. It's like, oh, you're just like me. But listen, here's my fear. Here's my fear with my kids is that they would grow up in this world and that they would be more liked and more respected because of what they post on social media than how they interact in life. That's my fear. Social media, when we do likes and followers and comments and all this stuff, praises performance. I want to praise character in my children. That's that's the focus. And the world would say, forget your character. (laughs) It's a dog-eat-dog world. Do what you need to do to get ahead. And here's the angle you need to take these photos. And sex always sells, so make sure you're, you know, uh, doing that appropriately. And make sure you're posting this way. And here are the crucial times that you need to post. 
And by the way, I, I don't mind all this marketing and business. They do all this stuff as well, right? It, it, it's fine. But when our self-worth, when our identity gets wrapped up in a screen, we have missed the mark. We must think more deeply about this. I'll give you another one. Oh, let me give you just a practical step. Um, moms and dads, I want to encourage you. Uh, you can take your child's cell phone away. You can put it in a drawer in your bedroom so that they do not have it. You can limit the amount of time they spend on their phone. Now make sure you have clear communication and tell them why. Otherwise, they're going to leave going, I hate Steve and I hate the church. (laughs) Don't be weird for Jesus, but be loving and explain. Look, hey, I should have started this years ago, but we're never too late. So we're going to start now. And we're going to have these conversations. This is open dialogue. This is not a talk. This is a conversation. And we will have a lot of these but listen, there are some things online that at your age, you are just not uh, capable of processing. And quick newsflash, there are some things online that your adult grown parents are not capable of healthily processing. This is really important. This is really important because we have a world, or we have a generation that is being influenced by what they see on a screen. They are more comfortable communicating through text than they are eyeball to eyeball. And when Jesus said, go make disciples, when he said, love your neighbor, it's relationship. It's not screen with clicks. This is big. This is really, really important. Another thing we need to kind of reframe and think more deeply about is happiness and success. And it is loosely tied or closely tied, not loosely, it's closely tied with social media platforms and all of these apps. The idea that the world is teaching is simply if you have money, if you have beauty, if you have sex, if you have social status, you have it all. You're successful. And moms, dads, we know that that's just not true. You can have all the money in the world, but if you're not content, you will not be satisfied. You may have power, but you'll be lonely. Teenagers, it seems like as every generation, they're getting more and more promiscuous, but that's also because the studies will show that the, the, the hurts and the wounds are significantly deeper with every generation that keeps coming up. So sex is like a drug. It's, it's a moment of... of to, to feel pleasure, to feel loved, to feel something other than hurt and pain. And the, the thing with drugs is that they, they work short-term, don't they? But have long-term, devastating effects. So we have to think more deeply about these things. We have to have these conversations and let them know that this is not true. Now, we have kids of all ages, so I'm going to be very delicate about this next one. We're not going to do a deep dive in it, so just, just trust me, we'll be okay. Um, but we have to think differently and more deeply about sex and pornography. Most studies will agree that the average age of a kid who has seen pornographic material, um, they've seen it by the third or fourth grade. Um, Your kids do not need unlimited access to the internet at that age. This is not a rites of passage. They They need boundaries. They need help. And it's not even necessarily that they're, they're searching it out. They just stumble upon it. Or maybe there's someone at school with an older brother or, or whatever the case. But th- these are conversations. Remember in generations uh, past, it was you, you had to talk. If you remember anything today, it is we are no longer having a talk. We are having conversations, ongoing conversations by the third or fourth grade. This is... Listen, this is a big deal. This is also a big opportunity to really lead, to guide, to train our kids. 
We need to monitor their internet usage. We need to understand that they're, we need filters to filter out some inappropriate contact, content. We also need to know that all those filters, there are workarounds. We need to be aware of that. We need to watch our kids' um, browser history. And if there is no history, we need to ask why. Where did it go? <laughs> I know you're on the internet from noon to two o'clock. How come there's no history from noon to two? Did it just vanish? And in that conversation, listen, in that conversation, there's a delicate, there's, there's, there's a balance between truth and grace, isn't there? And what a beautiful thing. What, and even to handle that correctly. And in the times that mom and dad, that we screw that up and we err too much on the truth side or too much on the grace side, what a wonderful opportunity to circle back with our kids and say, I'm sorry. I made a mistake on this. Would you forgive me? That's powerful. That's powerful. Don't miss that. Again, I don't think cell phones belong in kids' rooms. You don't want your teenagers in the middle of the night to be asking for certain pictures or sending certain pictures. You don't. Unless you do. (laughs) Then by all means. But I promise you, you don't. So, so parents, sometimes I, I found this in the years that I was doing youth ministry is parents wanted to, but they didn't want to, um, infringe on their child's privacy. And, and I get it. Um, but I love you. So I'm going to tell you this. You have permission to infringe on your child's privacy. They need a parent, not a best friend. So, so um, if your kids have locks on their doors, that that's fine. Um, maybe take the lock away. Or tell them you can't unlock your, or you can't leave your door locked. But you, you have to get involved. And on your phone, we're going to talk about these things. Not because I'm going to be the phone police and get you for everything, but because I love you, I want to help train you and walk you through this. Because this is a big, big, big deal. Did, did I mention how big this is? This is big. This is everything. Um, we need to talk to them about porn and let them know that this isn't real, that people are acting. It's pretend. That, that, that man, that woman is made in the image of God. That's someone's son. That's someone's daughter. We need to explain to them how that industry works and the way people get trapped in that. All the studies that I have read have say um, that it is devastating to relationships. <laughs> I haven't come across one study that said, you know the secret to our marital bliss? Watching that. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. And by the third or fourth grade, we must be proactive in this. We must have conversations with this. Um, last thing on sex, and then, then we'll move on. Um, when I grew up in church, it was, uh, don't do it unless you're married because the Bible says so. And then don't do it because you'll get like an STD, STI, or, or something like that. Don't do it because you get pregnant. Um, just don't do it. And, and that was, that was good. It was helpful. But uh, what was more significant is when I had somebody tell me this. I had an older man tell me. He said, look, Steve, uh, one of two things happen when you start dating someone. And play along with me. One or two things happen. Um, the first one is this. You, you either you break up or you get married. Right? <laughs> when you're dating someone, you either marry them or you break up. Right? Now, the timing on that, sure, that's negotiable, but like, that's pretty much where that goes. And he said, Steve, more often than not, and you want it to be in this order, more often than not, you will break up with someone than you will marry them, correct? Yeah? Okay, good, good, good. 
So the idea is simply this. Steve, if, if you are not married and you're having sex with someone, you, you're potentially having sex with someone else's future spouse. And on the flip side, someone else is probably having sex with your future spouse. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I'm telling you, for me, for me, that was far more profound, far more significant than the Bible says. That was huge for me. We have to reframe the story for our kids at age appropriate levels. We, we have to do this. We have to do this. Um, I said last thing, I'll give you one more dating. Um, high school students, early college, this is really important for you. So listen up if you're, if you're online. Uh, listen, you are far more sexually compatible with people than you are relationally compatible with them. Don't mix those feelings up. You're, you're a boy, they're a girl. doesn't mean you're relationally compatible with them. That's a big... That's a big thing to distinguish. Okay, moving on. The fourth one is church. This is an area we have to think differently about. Church. We got to think differently about this thing. Um, kids learn real quick that Jesus Christ, the church, is the most foundational, the most important thing in our household until something else is. And what I mean by this is that we will tell our kids, church, Jesus, it matters, it's important, and then there's a really big football game. Or we're tired because it's been a long week. Or, well, you know, our kids are involved in this sport, so then we got to go and do the thing, right? Ah, I know you had all week to study for the test, Junior, but, you know, let's do Sunday morning. That's a good time to study. Church and Jesus is really, really important unless it's not. And our kids are watching. Our kids are learning. They're taking notes. They're applying. Church is really important unless I can find something else to fill the gap. And if we are to pass our faith on to our kids, we need to model this for them. We need to help. Excuse me, we need to help walk them through this. Um, my, my piece of advice is simply this. Uh, it, it's called house rules. And I'm going to tell this to my boys and say, boys, um, when you live under our house, there are certain rules that we do. Our family goes to church. We believe in Jesus. We follow Jesus. So I don't care what you do on the weekend. Spend the night. Stay up super late. But on Sunday morning, I'll see you at church. And, and parents, I want to encourage you. I want to uh, simply tell you this. Force your kids to go to church. Bribe them. Encourage them. Manipulate them. Strong arm them. Get them into church because they need to be around people. They need to hear the gospel message. They need friends that are walking in the same direction that you want them to go. You can force them to go. And I can feel the tension in the room already. So let me try and and dissolve some of it like this. Um, Do you remember when you had young babies and you tried to put them in the car seat? What did they do? They lost their mind, didn't they? Just, ah, just flailing all over the place, kicking and fighting and screaming. And as loving parents who knew what was best for them, you didn't say, oh, I see your point. Here, sit in the front seat with me. <laughs> no, you followed through because it is important and you knew better. Amen. That's what's up. <laughs> you come up here, we do this together. It looks different depending on the ages, but I'm telling you, I'm going to look at my, both my sons and they're pastor's kids. So here you go. Right. But I'm going to look at them and I say, look, when you can buy, when you can buy your own house, your own clothes, your own food, and you can make your own decisions and drive your own car. Great. But when you live under my roof and you eat the food that I bought for you and you wear the clothes that I bought for you, we go to church because I love you and I love Jesus. I want you to love Jesus. And more importantly, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. Our family goes to church. So 
encourage, bribe. And you know, you know the pushback. I don't have any friends there. You'll learn to make friends. What a valuable life lesson. I can't get along with anyone at work. Well, thank God you went to church for decades because you've developed the skill to get along with people in the business place. I don't like church. It's so boring. Well, how do you think I feel? I have to listen to Steve preach. Like, come on. There's like, this is how this whole thing works, man. There's something to be learned for perseverance and endurance. <laughs> okay, third one. Third one. Oh, man, I'm running out of time. Number three. It takes discipline to discipline your kids. You need to be consistent. Parents, come on. This is why we need each other, because it is tiring. It is hard work. we got to be consistent in this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but later... Oh, but painful. Can I get an amen? amen. It is not pleasant, but painful. But later on, however, here we go, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's what we want for our kids. That's exactly what we want for our kids. You've heard this one too, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's what you want. That's what you want. You want your children, when they are old, to continue to walk with Jesus. Now, now hang with me for a moment. This is a proverb. This isn't a promise. This is wisdom literature. Listen, godly parents does not guarantee godly kids. Be, why? Be, because... Parents, you you can have influence over your kids, but you cannot have control over your kids. They will make decisions even when they know better. Because you did. Because I did. It is the human condition. But as a general rule, best practice for raising kids... Get them to church. Train them up in the ways of Jesus Christ. When Moses said it best, when you're sitting, when you're lying down, when you're getting up, when you're walking around, talk about Jesus. And again, age-appropriate levels, right? I, I found these, these are phases of parenting. This is helpful. I'll walk you through this real quick. The phases of parenting, number one is denial, <laughs> then it's anger. <laughs> this is funny. If you fell asleep during the sermon, this is funny. You should be laughing. Uh, this is the, the stages of grief. <laughs> Depression, and then I am a parent. Okay, acceptance. Uh, no, for reals, let me give you the phases of parenting. And it's important we don't screw up this order. Years 1 to 5, this is the disciplining years. 5 to 12, these are the training years. This is what we do. When you wake up, we do this. Guess what? Tomorrow, you woke up, we're going to go do this. Okay, we wake up, we do this, right? Just training and training and training. Then you do the coaching years. This is not so much training, but more guiding, fine-tuning, adjusting the knobs, moving things around and saying, hey, you're doing it great, but maybe if you move a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, you're going to get a better outcome. Listen, you do not, if you skip the disciplining years, you do not want to do them during the coaching years. Oh, baby. It's never too late, but it is more difficult. It's very, very difficult. And listen... The last one, I'm told, I'm not here at this stage, but I am told that the friendship years are some of the most, they're just the best. The best. Um, again, it's important that we don't mess this order up because I'm, I'm telling you, your four-year-old does not need you as a best friend. They need you as a parent. And they, they, need, they need you. As a parent, not someone else to go parent. They, they need you with all of your flaws and all of your strengths. God has entrusted you to raise this child. 
They need you to discipline. They need you to train. They need you to coach. And then the fruit of the first three is the friendship years. Your kids ate. They don't need you as a best friend. They have best friends. And, and normally you would think 18 plus, like that's the finish line, right? I just got to get to 18 out of the house. Boom, baby. Go on. Get, do your thing. Mission accomplished. Vacation. We're going to Hawaii, babe. We did it. I think the finish line needs to be moved to 30. Here's why. Uh, your frontal lobe, your frontal cortex in your brain is not fully developed until age 25. The car insurance company has this right. You can't rent a car until you're 25. Why? Because your brain isn't fully formed. <laughs> the finish line can't be 18. Your brain's not fully formed. Listen, this is really important. You, wanna, you want to raise healthy and thriving 30-year-olds, adults, because... Because, listen, the decisions you make in your 20s, that decade is so crucial because it will have consequences for the rest of your life. When you graduate high school, you decide, do I go to college or not? If you go to college, what degree am I going to get? If you get a job, where am I going to get the job? Where am I going to live? If you meet someone and get married, okay, then you ask the question, are we going to have children? How many children are we going to have? And you can't make those decisions without this thing being fully formed. You need, listen, you need a friend, but you need years and years and years of trusted relationship with mom and dad to guide you through this process because you've never been there. Do you remember when you were holding on to your kids? They're learning to ride a bike and you were holding on to that back seat and holding on to him. And you're like, buddy, you got to trust me. I got you. And they did. And you let them go, and they learned how to ride a bike, it is the same thing. You need to go, buddy, look, I know you're not five, but you got to trust me. I've been here, and you've never been in this situation before. You, you have to trust me on this. I'm seeing something that you are not going to see, and I'm not going to hold on. I mean, we're going to, you know, you're going to learn to do this all on your own, but you, you got to trust me. And more often than not, they will if we do this correctly. There is a pattern. We must stick with the pattern and not get it out of order. So I simply want to close because I'm way over on time. I'm so sorry. I want to close and simply encourage you that mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, wherever you are in this spectrum, God has chosen you to raise your kids and your grandkids. And you don't have it all, but you have enough. And he will fill in the gaps. And the beauty of the church is that where we fall short, Jesus is so good at sliding other people into our lives that can help us along the way. It takes more than a village, it takes a church. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and I just, a quick prayer, Lord, if there is a mom, a dad, grandparents, Lord, that are tired, that are exhausted, that feel like they do not have what it takes, Father, I pray that this week that you would miraculously bless that household. God, I pray for relationships where there is tension between sons and fathers and mothers and daughters, Lord, that conversations of healing would take place, that reconciliation and forgiveness, Lord, would be a reoccurring theme and conversation in these households. I pray, God, that families this week would come together and both parties would say, hey, look, I've made some mistakes and I haven't been perfect, but because we love one another, our family is going to start operating a little differently. 
And Lord, may they be gracious with each other. And when we fall, Lord, would we pick each other up and encourage one another? Would we also hold our children accountable? And as parents in authority, Lord, would we be quick to ask for forgiveness when we fall short? And I pray, Lord, because of the work that you're doing in our kids and in our families, Lord, that our, our children would have the maturity and the love for us to go and offer that forgiveness. And Father, where there is tension in the household, where the, would there be conversations of healing? And Father, we do all of this not because we're special or unique or gifted, but we do all of this because you have done this for us. And so God, for the moms and dads in this room that feel so overwhelmed, Father, would you just, would your Holy Spirit just remind them that this week that they have what it takes and they love their kids like none other but you love them significantly more than we could ever imagine. Would we trust? Would we trust in that? And would that make all the difference in the world? We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Would you stand up with me, please? We're going to close in one last worship song.